This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Um, Emerald, I know that if you were in New South Wales, you'd probably vote for the Greens in the upcoming state election, but I just want you to consider some other options. You know, there's some other party there with some cool policies. I would vote for whoever can deliver a sort of, what would I say, a manifesto for my, I don't know, freedom? freedom? Is there anyone that's doing something like that? Well, it's crazy that you mentioned that, actually, because the Liberal Democrats (laughs) of New South Wales, a couple of weeks ago, we've been sitting on this for a while, just laid out what their priorities are (laughs) for the New South Wales state election in 2023. And they are as follows. Capitalism. Check. (laughs) Tick. Tick. (laughs) Colon nuclear. Nuclear? Are you one of those people? Nuclear. 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 COVID justice. Tick. No idea what the fuck that is. What does that mean? COVID justice. Tom. Well, actually, you can find out further in the tweet thread, but continue. Great. Colorblind. Tick. You know what? I like that. I like justice for colorblind people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, COVID justice. COVID COVID justice for Tom. (laughs) Oh, boy. And, of course, cut spending as well. That's a big old tick for the Liberal Democrats. Can I just really quickly, what's the flag that they've got on here? That's the New South Wales state flag, I assume. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, everyone loves their state flag. Like, I get it. I mean, in Queensland, I would recognise the Queensland one, but I guess I just didn't recognise this one. Liberal Democrats, like the Liberals, but with conviction. This is courtesy of John Ruddick, who people might know used to be in the Liberal Party. Is out of his fucking mind. He's been on Q&A, you know, loves Trump. Oh. Absolute failure across the board when it came to federal Election, of course. I didn't think, yeah, because Lionhelm used to be in there, but I think he's, you know, he's all gone. They don't have the equivalent of liberal Democrats anymore. Well, maybe because they, they they didn't promote their colorblind policy strongly enough. Clearly, yes. So what? So I've actually read the whole thread. There's a, there's a beautiful thing here about how awesome capitalism is. I'll uh, quote you, Margaret Thatcher. Capitalism is a system that brings wealth to the many, not just the few. Mm, yeah, famously. The, it's like the opposite of that. It's, it's weird. literally the opposite. Well, what is the colorblind policy? Governments should be race blind. Martin Luther King settled this when he taught, taught us to judge others by their character and not their skin color. Mm-hmm. The proponents of positive racism may have good intentions, but their strategy doesn't work. Encouraging individuals to believe their destiny is determined by their ancestry is a curse. Acknowledgement of country and welcome to country should cease on all government, New South Wales government property. That's wild. It's, um, yep. <laughs> they don't, they want to take. They're very upset about the the Aboriginal flag flying on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yes. They've got like this quote in 2018 of Perite being like, "No, oh, we don't really need a flag," and then 2022 being like, "We're going to fly the flag," <laughs> and they're very mad about this. Which I thought libertarians love flags, didn't they? So like, I don't know what they're so upset about. It's almost as though maybe they're just racist, but. That can't be it. They're colorblind. How does being colorblind relate to white people? Because white's not a color. You know, it's a shade. Uh, yeah, it's actually a shade. So, uh, um, yeah. No, that's really clever. Like, the it's a really – I didn't realize that the Liberal Democrats were so culture war yeah. and not just, like, economically libertarian. Like, they don't – this isn't just about, yeah, like, they've got stuff about abolishing, you know, stamp duty and, and reducing taxes and stuff. But it's ca- – all the language is just, like – extreme dog whistles like they talk about they say fund students not bureaucrats and they're talking about like just giving people education vouchers instead of funding an education institution so that people can choose what they want but the way they describe this is like 
some parents may choose a curriculum focused on gender, climate change, and First Nations, while others may choose a more traditional approach. <laughs> why did you why why put that there? <laughs> so you get a school voucher. You go to the free market of schools and you say, and Hello, like, I'd like to my order climate change and First Nations. Yeah, I'd like to order a Marxist transgender <laughs> First Nations school, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Greens have really taken a far left radical view that I would even say is left of the most radical left person in California. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. <laughs> a serious danger to Australia. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's the best state in the country. I'm sure it's going to be totally fine. And we're going to be discussing it on this week's episode of Serious Danger. That's what this podcast is. My name is Tom Ballard. Emerald Moon. Emerald Moon. There you are. Some say I'm from New South Wales. I dispute it. I'm, I don't know if we've discussed this on the show before. I'm from South South Queensland. Oh. Some would say that I was born and raised in the northern rivers of New South Wales, but Borders are fake, so. It's all, yes, open borders across the country. This is unofficial Breeds Party podcast. It's made possible with the help of the Great Institute and produced by Michael Griff Griffin. And yes, we're going to be chatting with, or well, everyone will be chatting with specifically. Um, the Tom Green- refuses to speak to women. He's like, oh, I've spoken to one woman this week and that's it. <laughs> it's really fucked up. She's the Greens of House candidate. For the New South Wales Greens, Linda June Coe is going to be our guest. I'm sorry that this might be some weird technical issues going on here, but... Um, some very boring reasons for that. But don't worry, you'll have a fantastic conversation with Emerald and Linda on the way. It's pretty good. Uh, thank you to our new patrons this week, William, Stella, Shailene, Helen and John, our absolute royalty. They maybe joined up to listen to our episode on the Greens and wokeness and whether it's destroying the party and who's woke, who's not, what does it all mean? There are so many good bloody episodes on there if you're not on patreon what are you even doing it's only three dollars a month and um without it we literally can't do the podcast so are you trying to destroy us (laughs) 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 not to kill you or anything we have a we have a message here from one of our dear patrons logan who says, I did get accused of having woke ideas this week for suggesting that Rogan and Musk weren't intellectual giants. <laughs> so this episode comes just in time. Stay woke. It's, a woke woke. it's just like you say something I don't like and you're woke. And that's woke. But yes, criticizing yeah. like millionaires and billionaires yeah. like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk is therefore woke. I don't know if that criticism was coming from other like Greenies members or whatever, but um, uh, yes, I did that, that message just intrigued me. But, I mean, words is what it'd be wanted to be, though. It's great. Yeah, so true. Ah, uh, yes, the human skin suit. It's like a second wardrobe for me. It's definitely not comfortable, especially when I'm shape-shifting back to my lizard form. But Neuralink has been working hard on a project to develop a new species of synthetic skin that grows with its wearer, thereby eliminating the need to shape-shift back and forth. Jamie, pull that up and see if there is any genetically modified species out there on Earth that can use my nipples as a weapon of mass destruction, because that would be fucking wild, man. Woke is working fewer than five days a week. That's that's staying woke, that's my brothers and sisters wokeness. and non-binary friends. Gone mad, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just thought this was some good lefty news. We're always downers on this fucking show, so I felt like we should talk about some uppers and some great news. People might have seen this being reported in. Uh, massive, the world's biggest four-day work week trial ended in the UK. 60 British companies involving 3,000 employees 
took part in the trial. Obviously, that's the same salary if you only work, work four days a week instead of five. And society collapsed. And yes, it's well, Britain is broken. Well, uh, I wish it fair, wasn't in Britain. Well, yeah, correlation <laughs> or causation wasn't the four day working week trial that caused the UK to completely disintegrate. Did it kill the, tw- the Queen? It killed the Queen, yes. The Queen was so happened. upset that people were not working on Fridays and she was just like, oh. I can't do this anymore. Oh, my husband and I did. Um, no, actually, it went really well. And it's probably the only good oh. thing in Britain right now. Workers were way happier. There was better morale, less burnout, better sleep, mental health outcomes. Everyone's happy. I, I, I saw a few interviews people might have seen across the news of just ordinary British people just being like, I don't know myself. I can't believe it. I'm so happy. It was very cute. We love that. But but what about the profits, Tom? This is always the weird conversation with the four-day work week where you're like, but productivity. Yes. Well, actually, it was totally fine. Productivity said either the same or improved. Revenue increased slightly across the companies on average. And more than 90% of the companies taking part said they're going to stick with the working week permanently moving forward. Just 4% said they would not do that. Wow. So, wait, how many companies? 60. 60. Yeah. That's All right. Pretty, it's More, pretty goddamn massive. And I just thought it was, yeah, yeah a nice bit of good news because, of course, this is a classic idea supported by the Greens, Greens policy in some places in the country. And it's obviously derided, mm. it's utopian and hippie and ridiculous. And then, what do you know? It works out great. And it's actually, I think in the next decade, yeah, what I work with is going to become widespread common sense. And in 20 years, it'll be Labor Party policy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We we spoke about this. When did we talk about this on the podcast? Was it with Scott Ludlow? Yeah, it was. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go back far enough, you can listen to us talk about four-day working week and why it just makes sense. But, I mean, long story short, what? We were making all of these strides as we as technology improved and productivity improved and we could do more things with in fewer time, Man. the working week reduced and we were like, hey, maybe we could do other things instead of just being fucking wage slaves our entire life. Yeah. Um, and then at a certain point, we just stopped reducing the working week and then, and in fact, in a lot of ways, probably started working more. Yes. And for some reason, we can't seem to get past this five-day, two-day hump. Yeah. Um, but there is progress. Yeah, I think even in the last few years, it's become more and more acceptable. I do a four-day work week. I do not know how anyone ha- does a five-day working week. It seems fucking impossible, especially if you want to volunteer. And this is the thing, especially if you want to volunteer and do other shit, like on my Fridays- I do this silly little podcast. Um, not that that's an argument for a four-day work week. There could be more podcasts. Um, but, yeah, like time for, for caring for people, for volunteering, for, you know, building a uh, revolution just quietly. Yes. yes, of course, all the things that conservatives say they would support. Oh, we love community building. We love you spending time with your, mm, with the, time your, with your traditional family. nuclear family. Yeah, we yeah. Just, you have no time to do that because you're working for the capitalists all the time. Man. Yeah. Anyway, we'll put the link uh, to that story in the show notes if people want to read more about it. But congrats to Autonomy UK, which seems to be a very cool thing to do with all the stuff around this. And well done to all the uh, the British workers out there working less. I love it. Oh, I just love working four days a week. I get to have breakfast. Four days a week. Four days a week. Four days a week. Yeah, the New South Wales election is coming up on the 25th of March, so it's just under a month away, and it's an interesting one where we've had 
liberals have been in power in New South Wales, I think, for the last like 12 years or something hey. fucking ridiculous. And it's looking like Labor could potentially win it, which would mean many, many Labor governments, but also Labor isn't really that good there. And if they <laughs> win, I feel like they'll just slide in because the libs are so shit. Or we could have, as we've seen everywhere else, like slide in the major parties vote and we get more Greens elected and we're in balance of power and we can win good things. We've already got a bunch of, of Greens MPs in the lower and upper house in New South Wales. We've got Balmain, Newtown and Ballina that we'll be looking to keep in the lower house. And then in the upper house, we are looking to elect, well, we're going for like three upper house seats. We've got Kate Fairman up for re-election and then um, Amanda Cohn and Linda June Co, who we're talking to, are uh, trying to squeak in as well. But we, I think next, like we could potentially pick up Lismore is very close, uh-huh. South Coast, or I think in, in the interview, as you'll hear, we were talking about Shoalhaven, which overlaps with that state electorate of South Coast where Amanda Finley is running, Heffron where Philippa Veach is running. Yeah, a big swing off Labor could potentially put us into second in the South Coast. We lay, yeah, if we pip Labor on in Heffron, we could win. Summer Hill, Isabella Antonio is running. Aubrey, you did a fundraiser in. Eli Davin is is running there. Yep. Is it feeling like we can win in those seats? Is it feeling real? Uh, look, I think Eli, oh gosh. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> That's my mom. <laughs> Uh, look, I think the energy in Albury is really exciting. Amanda Cohen is from Albury as well. She's a former deputy mayor in ah, Albury as well. So, okay. yeah, she's the number two ticket and she was doing amazing stuff. She's traveling the state, talking to people about the state of the regional healthcare services and how fucked it is. She's a former doctor as well, or she's a doctor, I should say. Um, yeah. So, yes, the energy and the lovely excitement for certainly getting Amanda up is great. And Eli, who ran against Susan Lay in Farrah, the federal seat, and doubled yeah. the Greens vote last year, was fantastic. Damn. But, yeah, that's a pretty conservative area. I think Aubrey, the lower house thing would be a big ask. But certainly Eli's working his guts out to make it happen. And I think getting Amanda up would be fucking sick. Yeah, it's going to be – it's it's an interesting interview with Linda and I am just – I'm excited about the New South Wales election. It's interesting because in 2019, obviously – this that was right before federal election, I think, and our vote actually went backwards in right. a lot of these target seats. But many of our candidates in those seats now are new. They're different candidates from last time around. And I also – it just seems like the vibe is just entirely different post-federal election, mm. you know, post everything that's that's been happening and it could be, yeah, a really exciting result. So Linda Junco, she's a Wiradjuri and a Badu Island woman, former teacher, researcher and campaign of First Nations justice. She's also number three on the New South Wales Greens Senate ticket for the state election on the 25th of March. Thank you so much for coming on, Linda. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to finally have, we've been meaning to do a bit of a New South Wales election campaign special. Um, and since you're that kind of crucial third spot that the party's really trying to pick up in, in the election, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on how the campaign's been going. I imagine it's really like heating up at this point. Um, we're almost, we're about a month out, right? Yeah, yeah. We're pr- pretty much five weeks away from the March 2023 yeah. uh, state election. So uh, in the midst of it, it's got a very strong campaign. I feel um, our policies are, are hitting the nail in terms of what community are telling us these are the priority areas. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's um, it's really just been going from strength to strength. Yeah. How long, like, how long have you been kind of really campaigning for? Has it been a long campaign? Uh, with the Greens? Yeah, or just on this one, like in that spot um, on the upper house ticket. 
Yeah, so I was made aware that I uh, won a spot in July last year. So essentially yeah. I've been in election mode or campaign mode <laughs> since that time. So, uh, yeah, eight months. Yeah. Are you ready for a sleep on the 26th of March? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a week-long sleep. Yeah, well, we can't think about that yet because first we have to get out there and win it. So in terms of the things that are coming back from the community that like the party's chosen to to campaign on those key issues, what are the really big ones that we're focusing on? Yeah, obviously at this point in time, um, coal and coal seam gas and ensuring that uh, the major parties actually commit to uh, a solutions-based agenda. Uh, the Greens have uh, committed to uh, the ending of coal and coal seam gas by twenty. 30 and mm-hmm. uh, we want to ensure that governments are following suit on something so serious that impacts all communities right across the state and country as well. Mm. It's interesting, yeah, like I think, and particularly in the wake of the federal election, that we now have both major parties at least pretending that they care about climate change, but it's created this really like the distinction now is so clear and I think the public are really starting to get that the whole point is those major parties want to continue coal and gas and the Greens don't. And it's like, uh, in a way, it's terrifying because we need to make them stop approving coal and gas if we want the planet to survive. But it's also like the demand is so clear, right? Like, and that surely people will be thinking about that when they head to the polls if climate is something they care about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, You know, just here in New South Wales, we've had ongoing um, floods, we've had the bushfires, Mm. These events are going to increase. If anything, they're going to accelerate very quickly if we don't actually intervene. And I believe the community uh, are at the forefront of making that determination come yeah. uh, this election. Yeah. I've been I've been thinking a fair bit about like climate change as a cost of living issue because, I mean, mm. I think cost of living is like a, that's what a lot of people would think about when they're voting or heading into election. But it's... Uh, yeah, if if your house is is flooded, you've suddenly got all of these like real hip pocket immediate material things that you're dealing with. It intersects with the housing crisis in in areas. You know, think about like I went to school in Lismore, for example, and yeah, the the fact that like a housing crisis was just so intensely exacerbated by the floods there. And so I know that yeah, like housing is is another one. I think that the Greens that's probably like a top issue. I would imagine coming into absolutely. the state election. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, just uh, with the impact of, of the pandemic, uh, we've seen households really struggle for, throughout that entire period. The rising cost of living for me as a First Nations person has been intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I come from a, a community which is low-income, uh, no-income families. So we have struggled intergenerationally around trying to make the very basic essential human rights, you know, needs in terms of housing, education, um, health, access to health, you mm. know, um, the rising cost of living now impacts, you know, a more prominent community because it's now based on classism. And it's something that mm-hmm. uh, I think about critically in terms of coming from that actual dynamic. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, was it that the Greens in New South Wales put out our, like the last kind of part of our housing policy with the the renters' rights um, package? Do you want to just quickly like lay out the key parts of that that we've been putting forward? 
Yeah. So we want to freeze rents. We want to ensure that there's um, some some leeway around um, the stress of rental increases. We want to ensure that there's some security as well for for uh, for renters. Our policy speaks to the the demand and the lack of supply for social and affordable housing right across the state. So we really want to put some measures in place that community can actually feel a sense of relief, but also can map out a future that is not going to be detrimental to, you know, vulnerable people within our communities. Mm. Yeah, I know, like, we've probably talked about a little bit on the podcast before, but that this growing, like, criticism of the Greens that, oh, you're simultaneously, you're anti-development, you say you want more affordable housing, but then you'll you'll try to stop developments coming in in your community. And which is why I think one of the things that New South Wales Greens were talking about fairly early on is quite interesting around legislating that I think 10% of all new dwellings in New South Wales would have to be public and not-for-profit social housing because I think, yeah, like that's a good way to respond to that, right? It's like, sure, like we, yes, we want new, you know, we'll need new housing developments, but it can't just be luxury apartments or expensive housing. It actually needs to include affordable housing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what we've actually put together is a model for human rights, you know, a a package which speaks to that housing and have a roof over your head is a human right. Mm -hmm. And so we want to address this as a part of social equity. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that is the, the big difference that the major parties just aren't even close to like they just they're not approaching the housing crisis from the same perspective because they still see it as a commodity like yeah. it's a speculative you know um thing to be profited from whereas we're like well a home is a place that people live <laughs> that's exactly right yeah yeah the other one like the other policy that i wanted to talk about is the first nations justice policy that the new south wales greens have proposed which as i understand it would be establishing a Truth and Justice Commission and an Independent Treaty Commission and, interestingly, a referendum to create dedicated First Nations seats in Parliament. How's the response to that proposal been so far? It's been really well received uh, within our communities. Um, I think New South Wales has, has really been on the back foot of you know, committing to a treaty pathway for this state. What we've seen around the country is you know, areas such as Victoria, uh, Queensland, the mm. Northern Territory, and South Australia actually, you know, commit to this um, this pathway. It's been on my radar for some time, actually, around the lack of um, initiative from the major parties. So, I think the community is really excited about the prospects of this actually getting up, but also the the fact that here in New South Wales, um, we have the highest First Nations population in the country. And it's a part of, you know, formalising some uh, recognition for reconciliation in a just and proper way. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously the timing is like there's there's been this whole like messy and I think for, for a lot of people very difficult conversation around the voice referendum um, at a federal level and that's something that the federal party has been dealing with, with and we've spoken a bit about on the podcast. But... I think at the same time, being able to, at a state level, put forward a, a policy that shows what the Greens would actually want to see, that, that is like this is how we could progress all elements of the Uluru Statement from the heart. Like I think that's, that's quite a positive thing to be able to do, I would imagine. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does speak to the, the Buluru statement in our position is truth telling. We need mm-hmm. to ensure that we um, actually reckon with our history and tell both sides of the story in a way in which we can come to common ground and um, form the basis of a relationship which is cohesive, which is based on peace and which is based on, you know, a, a future that we can both share proudly. Yeah. So that's the first element of the Truth and Justice Commission and that will um, pretty much set up what a treaty uh, framework could look like based on those uh, that framework of truth uh, and justice. The dedicated seats in Parliament is based on an international best practice model, uh, not too far from home, which is uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to ensure that um, First Nations voices are heard in a way which gives them power, which gives them a sense of political autonomy and ensure that they can actually elect their own representation in accordance with UNDRIP or the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Yeah, so how do those seats work? Like how many seats are there? How are they elected? Are they for particular areas or? That's a really good question. In, you know, we've had the ATSIC model uh, which, um, you know, first sessions people hadn't to participate in a democratic election process. Um, it's not an idea which is too, you know, far removed. In terms of the detail though, that will actually come out of the negotiations in the treaty uh, development. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. And how's it been? Like, obviously, you know, we've just lost a, a really fierce fight of the First Nations justice from from the party. Like Lydia Thorpe resigned. I guess it was maybe two weeks ago now. How's that been for you? Kind of watching someone who fought for Black sovereignty within the Greens now leave the party to pursue that on a different path um, while you're kind of still, I would imagine, you know, pushing on that within the party? Like how has that been for you in the middle of the campaign? Um, for me it's been really um, exciting in terms of, you know, the, the pathway that she's now going to tread. Mm. And in terms of uh, progressing on the demands for treaty, she now has a position to advocate for, you know, voices that are completely marginalised because they're deemed too radical. Yeah. So that's the excitement that I have now and that she has my full faith and, um, yeah, she, she's actually one of my sister girls and so we support right. each other, um, you know, indefinitely. And um, she's still backing me in my state election. Um, she was actually very excited when she saw our um, policy proposal as well and it, it actually, yeah. you know, gives meaning to the elements of the Uluru Statement. Mm. And, um, yeah, I wish her well. Yeah, it is like, yeah, I think that there are a lot of hot takes on Lydia's resignation and, and everything. But anyone that I actually speak to in the movement, you know, or most people that I speak to in the movement are like, that's awesome. I hope she can win, yeah. <laughs> you know, like as as long as we're, we're fighting for, the, for a lot of the same things really. And it'll just, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, like what she can achieve um, as an independent, still very early days. I think that like, but at the same time, it's been like, it'll be interesting to see what as a party we can achieve for the Black Sovereignty Movement. And yeah, particularly if we do pick up, you know, more seats in, in New South Wales Parliament. Would we be looking at, like, are we going for a balance of power situation in state parliament as well? That is the situation. It's currently uh, within our discussions and our radar that, that uh, yeah, we are in a strong um, spot to actually take up 
balance of power negotiations and it's something that we're considering very heavily. Yeah. And have there been, you know, discussions about like I imagine probably media as well have been pressing like, okay, so if you're in balance of power, what are your number one demands going to be? Have we come out and said, oh, it'll be no no new coal and gas or or housing or, you know, anything like that? Or is it still kind of we're we're keeping a little bit, I guess, we're we're keeping it a mystery for now? (laughs) Yeah, at this point in time, it's still within the works. It's still within negotiations amongst, yeah, amongst the party. Yeah, because there's a bunch, I mean, probably don't have time to like get into all of them, but there's a bunch of uh, exciting things in the platform, obviously free and accessible public transport. I'm a big free public transport fan. Not all of the states, not all the Greens member bodies, I think, yet have a policy for free public transport, but I'm in Queensland. We have been pushing free public transport and New South Wales Greens are as well. Are there like what other kind of big issues have you found are really resonating with people on the ground? You know, because I'm a rural and regional woman and obviously the, the rise in cost of living is, is impacting us very deeply in those areas, but also um, access to health. So regional health mm. and the lack of, you know, uh, adopters within those areas is really obvious and it's evident. So what I've been having discussions about is ensuring that we actually, uh, you know, reform the way that um, the health system is operating within the state. Yeah. I'm very excited that we have Dr. Amanda Kong, who's number two on the Mm. ticket, who is a regional uh, doctor and has, you know, that experience within those communities. And as a First Nations woman, um, you know, for us to travel to appropriate health clinics, we have to travel. We have to travel far distances. So it's it's those issues within our communities that this policy, well, the policy development actually speaks to. It's those vulnerable, most marginalised communities. Also, the... Teaching, because I'm a former teacher as well. Well, education, yeah, yeah. yeah. Regional schools are in dire shape. You know, we need to ensure that governments are committing outside of, you know, the greater Sydney region across the the dividing range. So for me, I really want to see improvement in those particular areas as it pertains to First Nations justice, but, but also our most, you know, lower socioeconomic communities and also the housing crisis. Yeah. No, there are areas within this state where the climate and the weather actually extends to over 40 degrees plus and there are elders without air conditioners. Yeah. So, you know, it's these families and these communities that I'm fighting for and as it stands, I'm feeling that we're only just starting to pick up what it actually looks like in terms of coming from those very, very marginalised areas. Yeah, yeah. It's it's those basic necessities, right? Like I think it's interesting. I mean, I haven't been following the New South Wales election super closely, but I really haven't seen all that much from the major parties in terms of like drastically changing people's experience of those uh, basic services. Like I think I saw, what is it, you know, the Libs will give people some back-to-school vouchers, Labor, and I think maybe some other parties are talking about scrapping stamp duty, which I think, yeah, maybe makes sense and is like a minor kind of reform to the housing crisis. But it's not that like fundamental radical change about actually meeting our schooling resource standard, for example, in in state schools um, and actually abolishing state school fees. Like I I know that that's something we have talked about in, in Queensland before. 
and reframing the whole way that we think about housing. It's just this like tinkering around the edges from the major parties, which I think people are surely getting pretty sick of when it comes to those fundamental things they need. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, what we've seen just in the last two decades is politics as usual from the major parties and, um, you know, the younger generation especially, I'm really, really sick of that. Mm. I feel, you know, the, the Greens, you know, we are the party of, of the the young, the woke, as, as I like <laughs> to say it, you know. <laughs> we had a whole, we did an episode, I'm laughing because we literally just did an episode on the podcast about like what does woke mean? So our listeners will be like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deadly. Yeah, so it's not about, you know, politics as usual and business as usual frameworks. We are here to ensure that we see radical change, transformative change. And, you know, if anything, it's the party of activists, right? Yeah. And I'm very proud to be a part of that. Yeah. And meanwhile, yeah, like honestly, a lot of what I have seen from from up in Queensland of the New South Wales election has been like a bunch of lib scandals. There was the stuff about, I mean, I've seen a fair bit of stuff about pokies. Obviously, the Greens still have the strongest policies around, you know, um, a super tax on pokies and cashless gaming and, and bet limits and, and eventually getting them out of pubs and clubs. But even the libs now having like a better policy than, than labor on pokies. Yeah. yeah. But do you think with all of the stuff that's been surrounding the liberals, there's this perception, I think that like, it's a shoe in for labor and like the polling is showing them ahead. And it seems like every, you know, this like peritative Nazi costume. There's the ICAC investigations. Now his brother is getting like pursued by police for corruption or something. Um, there's MPs sharing revenge porn of political rivals. But, but like, do you think that, yeah, all of this is enough to actually, for Labor to win it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the circuits surrounding uh, the coalition, people are really seeing the instability there. Mm. And <laughs> some of the, what I'm hearing from the communities as well is that um, they're not actually familiar enough with, with Labor and, and their policies. Um, mm. So it's kind of the, you know, voting for the lesser of two evils. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting run over the next five weeks in terms of Labor boosting their messaging around how they're going to create change for this state. Yeah, because, I mean, if now thinking about it, it's like the fact that all I've seen is this stuff about the scandals and the chaos around the Liberals. Maybe they are just trying to repeat what they did in the federal election where it was like Scott Morrison went to Hawaii and the Liberals are chaotic uh, and so vote for us. What are our policies? Doesn't matter. We're not the Liberals. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, I... um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, just within my generation, we've seen Labor come out, come out and still hold the same values as the Libs. Yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe they are banking on the same thing happening that, as it did in federal and maybe it does. It will be really interesting to see if it does because we'll then have Labor governments, if, if New South, yeah, if New South Wales Labor win, that's Labor governments in every state and territory except for Tasmania, which is like, yeah, I mean, when you, when you then have to demonstrate what your actually actual policies are. Maybe people will start demanding more. I mean, they already are demanding more and it probably could just accelerate that clear drift away from the major parties, which we saw in the federal election. I think that we're going to keep seeing across the country in every election. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if, if anything, it, you know, the spotlight was on the green slide. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And that, you know, that still um, filtered down into Victoria with the results there. Mm. You know, we, we expect the same drive here in New South Wales. If anything, it, sh- it will be stronger. That's my kind of feeling and sentiment around it. And, you know, I don't think we should also underestimate uh, the independence as well in that people are, you know, doing a, a protest vote these days. Mm. So uh, do you have Teals in the New South Wales election? And yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Are they running in any seats that are like in direct competition with the Greens, like our key seats? No, I, I, I don't believe so. Yeah. Um, but we should never underestimate them as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the Teals, though, they are predominantly a Sydney-based yeah, okay. campaign. So outside of the, the greater Sydney region, um, I'm not too familiar with many independents or Teal representatives uh, regionally or remote. Interesting, yeah. Because I thought because they didn't do too well in the Victorian state election or like or I guess less well than anticipated, right? And I don't know, yeah, I, I, I'm not a massive fan of of the teals as listeners of the the podcast will know but I I think it'll be I'm curious to see yeah whether they can ever replicate the results that they saw in 2022 yeah 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 so what are we like what are we really gunning for from the greens in, in New South Wales in terms of how many seats we think we can pick up in the lower house and and the upper house you know, it's a very exciting time. Uh, there has been some um, news on the ground around the movement in the, the, the Shoalhaken electorate and in Lismore as well. You know, we've come out gunning for those areas and, and people, uh, especially in the Lismore region, uh, want to see change on the ground now, not, mm. you know, reactive um, measures which we've seen from the devastation caused by the floods. We want to see action done immediately. And that is really be, uh, becoming um, more evidence in those northern region areas, not northern rivers areas, sorry. Yeah. Lismore is is interesting. I want to talk about Lismore. Like, cause, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is my little bit of, of background research on the state of play in New South Wales. So we've got Jamie Parker in Balmain is retiring, so presumably we'll be trying to hold that. And Kobe Shetty is running to to take that seat. We've got Jenny Long up for re-election in Newtown and Tamara Smith in Ballina. And then it seems to me like Lismore is the next winnable. So we've got, I think, so in 2019, the last state election, we got 24.3% of the primary vote. But it's worth noting that that was after the Labor MPs resignation and slow, like our vote actually went backwards slightly from the previous election where we'd finished second. So how do we think we'll be able to knock votes off that Labor MP, Janelle Safin, who was previously at a federal level and yeah, get to that second place so that we can actually take Lismore? You know, at the end of the day, it's going to have to come down to community will Mm. around, you know, the change that they want to see and the representation they actually want to see. You know, Adam Guise is on the ground there and um, I feel that, you know, particularly in that area, it's those mob who have the lived experience of losing their homes, of, you know, of having to pick their lives up not once but twice that can actually speak to that, you know, that proper representation matters. 
Yeah, I don't have a direct answer around how we can actually take this seat, but it, it for me, it's about lobbying the truth because it's about you know speaking truth to power, and it, that essentially will be the change maker in terms of how people get out on polling day. Yeah, uh, what has the field campaign been like in in some of these seats like Lismore, and you know even I'm sure others that could potentially be in the mix to make it like South Coast and like Heffron. Is there a really big ground campaign there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Our candidate for Strollhaven is currently the mayor for the region based on a mm. populist vote. So as I understand it, she's, you know, yeah, it, it, time will tell, but there's a really great groundswell in those particular areas to back the Greens, but also, you know, the people who once again at the forefront of these communities walking the talk and, you know, ensuring that the state government, whoever it is, is being held to account. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I definitely would love to see Lismore turn green. It just fucking makes sense. I like makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I um like I said, I went to school there and I actually just a couple of weeks ago finally went and visited Lismore for the first time since the floods and it's still like yeah it's still clearly post disaster mode a lot of houses are still abandoned and a lot of shops in the CBD aren't open I went and visited my old high school which is getting demolished and I just yeah I can't imagine that the fact that this flood was at least in large part caused by a climate crisis driven by coal and gas which both major parties continue to to approve continue to back that that won't be on people's minds when they head to the booth next month so yes, I'm I'm interested to see that. And then in terms of the upper house, we've got so is it like Kate Fem is up for re-election and plus Amanda Cohn, who you mentioned just before, and then you're in that third spot. Is what what swing do we need to actually get those three quotas? That's a really good question and it's one that I don't have the answer for, unfortunately. <laughs> That's fine. I think because I, when I was looking at it, I saw I think we made in 2019 we got like 2.14 of a quota. So I imagine like it's no small ask, obviously, to bump that up to three. Um, yes. It'll be, you know, it's going to take hard work. Um, yeah. But I know that we that the statewide polling has shown the Greens vote rising I think it's sitting at like 12 percent at the moment yeah is that like you know is 12 percent would need to be a little higher than that to secure your spot I I believe we need 0.5 of a percent yeah well okay yeah 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 I mean it's still it's obviously that's many votes when you're talking statewide absolutely but when you are seeing that shift away from the major parties it's within reach and I think that's why you know we were keen to do you know, do an episode on on the New South Wales state election and be like, for anyone who is in New South Wales right now, either thinking, oh, I'm not too sure, you know, what's at, what's at stake here or can we really pick anything up new and significant or, well, our vote's been increasing across the board so I don't re- really need to do anything. It's like it, it's it's actually that knife edge where the difference will be can you pick up the phone and make calls for your local branch? Like, can you be there on election day, handing out how to vote cards on the doors, letterboxing, whatever it is, could make the difference between you, Linda, being in parliament and not at the end of March. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, uh, you know, the reality there is that if it's not me, it's going to, it could, you know, 
it could potentially be a member of the shooters party. It could be One Nation. It, you know, like that's the extreme, right? Yeah. In terms of what could happen. So since the announcement, no, the the party has done everything possible to ensure that, you know, we get our asses off and out there into community to get, you know, all three of us into the upper house. Because, yeah, um, we're going to see more right-wing conservatives in, in Parliament. Yeah, so, what, so that third spot could come down to basically like Shooters and Fishers, One Nation or Greens, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. That's yeah. not terrifying. It's pretty scary. And pretty scary. <laughs> pretty terrifying. Fuck. All right. Yes. Please, people, go doorknock. And even if, like, I think we've said this on, on the show before, but I've noticed even for folks who are outside of New South Wales, there are nationwide calling parties that people can chip in from outside. And obviously, if you have, you know, cash to spare, I'm sure that donations are needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies, uh, if there is anything that you'd like to do to help, Give the uh, campaign state team a call. We'd love to see you on the front line with us. Yeah. If people can, people do the like the online sign up that would just be you know the forward slash New South Wales forward slash volunteer. Can people sign up there and they'll get a a call from from one of the campaigns? Is that how that's working um, at the moment? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure of the, of the process and mm. the procedure, but I'd imagine it wouldn't work that way yeah cool yeah well we can put links in in the show notes for people to get involved but what's the next you know next few weeks looking like for you I think you were saying that you're like you're traveling at the moment I imagine you've been doing stuff all over the state yeah yeah um at this point in time I'm in Sydney I'm about to leave in the next half hour down to the far south coast to have a talk with uh, the local Aboriginal community around um, Aboriginal cultural fishing rights uh, and the penalisation of, of and criminalisation of, of community who are, you know, essentially just practising their traditional culture. You know, their right to self-determine their lives but also to, to continue their traditional practices of gathering native seed resources. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so forgive my ignorance on because we don't have an upper house in Queensland, so I'm not totally across how it works. Is it do you have like particular regions in the upper house that different people run for or is it just an like the whole state that you're running to represent? It's the it's a statewide whole state quota system. So you really are like I imagine you've been traveling top to bottom all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get around to all the different parts of, of country, regional, remote, uh, coastal, um, the cities, the towns, just to, you know, let mob know that I'm running. Um, I come from a very uh, common Aboriginal family here in New South Wales. And what I've heard that, especially from, you know, our MPs going out and having conversations in, in their campaign trail, is that mob are really excited. And when I have a yarn, we're starting to become approached by different communities, yeah. uh, which is really telling me in terms of mob wanting to hear our policies and our vision for the future. So I'm doing my best to get across wherever I can. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, if there was ever a time that I could, you know, duplicate myself, yeah. um, now would be it. Yeah. <laughs> get someone else. Uh, yeah, someone else at a fundraiser, you're at a doorknock. That's what we, I mean, yes, the, the number of times I've thought if we could just clone our candidates, 
uh, it would be very helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> but since we can't, I guess that's why we need volunteers. So again, yeah, we'll we'll um, probably leave it there. But if anyone is listening and wondering how to get involved, check the links in the show notes. If you're in New South Wales, contact your branch, contact your local campaign, particularly, yeah, if you're in one of those seats, I mean, obviously crucial that we retain those seats like Balmain and Newtown and Ballina, if you're in Lismore, if you're in Shoalhaven, if you're in Heffron, if you're in Summerhill, Albury, all of these seats seemed like they were kind of in the mix and potentially winnable and they'll all help contribute to our upper house campaigns to get those three MPs elected in the in the upper house there. So please, please chip in what you can. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to shout out or, or let people know before we wrap things up? No, just, you know, at this point in time in the history of this country, it's we need more First Nations and people of colour in, in politics, in, in parliament to ensure those voices are heard. You know, usually, you know, it's always a white dominant space and so how can we have a diverse view or engage in, you know, political conversations which represent these communities it's it's timely here especially here in new south wales which has been transformed to a police state mm. that a black radical um is being you know given the chance to take a seat in there because i if i do i intend to shape shit up and so let's do the work let's you know get out there and create change i'm so excited i can't wait to see you in parliament <laughs> let's do it thanks, everyone. <laughs> all right thanks again for coming on the show linda good luck thank you go sir Touch grass, go side, touch grass, go side, touch grass. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Emerald. Good interviewing. Thank you so much, Tom. You didn't even hear it because uh, you refused to listen to two women speaking. <laughs> um, but for people who don't mind listening to two women speaking, you should tell us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Uh, it really helps get the spread the word and get the show out there. Similarly, if you share our stuff or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube, we're at Serious Danger AU, and you can message us there as well, or you can email us hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. All the info's at SeriousDangerPod.com, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's our show, folks. <laughs> it's the end of Serious Danger podcast for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll uh, see you next that's week. That's pretty much it. Yeah, good round That's uh, just about all I've got. <laughs> all I've got left. All right, shut up. Goodbye. <laughs> Serious Danger Australia.